This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, September 26th, the Suburban Appropriation Edition. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and host of the podcast Crime Writers On. I live in New Hampshire, and my kids are Henry, who's 18, Teddy, who's 16 and a half, and I have a stepdaughter, Lily, who is 19. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer uh, and a contributor to Slate's weekly parenting column, Karen Feeding, and mom to Naima, who is six, and we live in Inglewood, California. Hi, this is Amy Scott. I am a middle school teacher and contributor to Slate's Ask a Teacher column, and I am mom to Arlo and Patrick, who just turned five. Today on the show, we've got a question from a parent wondering if she should say something about the inappropriate appropriation going on in her community. Spoiler alert, I'm guessing we're going to say yes. Not sure, though. We'll find out. Plus, a question about addressing body image when raising kids in a culture that's perhaps a little more comfortable dissing fat people. And on Slate Plus, how to deal with teachers when red flags around test scores, homework, or whatever crop up this early in the school year. If you want to hear that conversation, join us on Slate Plus at slate.com slash plus. Now on to the show. To kick things off, we've got triumphs and fails. Jamila Lemieux, do you have a triumph or a fail this week? I have a triumph this week. Um, for those who are keeping score, let me know how many I've gotten thus far <laughs> because I, I think I'm batting kind of low. Um, so my daughter has school picture day on the 2nd of October, which is like next week. I don't know where September went. I misplaced it because it's going to be October. <laughs> and I am currently in New York. I'm moving to L.A. for real, for real, for real on Monday. Um, I've, I've been sh- talking about that all summer. And I just happened to take a look at the school calendar because her dad hadn't mentioned it, which I'm not surprised by. You know, he's not usually the one to flag school picture day. Um, I noticed that picture day was coming up. I was like, oh, my gosh, and it's happening while I'm there. So do I try to wait for this, um, you know, brief time that I'll be in California to take her dress shopping? I'm like, no, that's going to be too stressful. I need to pick out something, you know, on my own here. And I managed to buy a dress on my own, with no input from her, that she really liked. She sent me five thumb-up emojis. Nice. Indicating her approval. <laughs> and it's not that I don't I don't have a problem picking out my daughter's clothes. She likes, you know, I understand her sense of style. She tends to like the things that I, you know, I like for her. But when it comes to something like picture day, she has this thing where she just needs to downvote anything I come up with. Right. The last few years, it's been like, no, just because I said that I thought it was pretty. And so that I was able to do it in one shot. I'm very happy about it also could just be that she misses me that much because we spent most of the summer apart that she was just like, "Okay, mommy, you bought me a dress. I'll take it. But either way, triumph for me. Huge triumph. Five emojis. That's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Amy Scott, triumph or a fail. What have you got for us? I have a triumph. Um. That started as a fail, of course. Um, and so I dropped the boys at before school care at 7, between 7 and 7.15. I go teach all day. I come back. I pick them up at 4. We're home by 4.15, 4.30. And we are all exhausted. And so when they, you know, inevitably ask to watch TV, I always plan to say either let's wait until after dinner or, um, you know, okay, but only 45 minutes. And then I say yes. And, and, you know, two hours go by. And I I mean, we're all just exhausted, like completely wiped out. And, um, and it's not even like, I don't even make them watch TV together. You know, Arlo has Down syndrome. So he's developmentally different. And he comes to me and he says, ah, 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 which is his way of saying Garfield. And, 
Um, so, and I say, you want to watch Garfield? And he says, yeah, pew, pew. And that's the computer. (laughs) And so I send him in my room and he watches Garfield on the computer, which is a funny little show, but it's literally the only thing he watches. And then Patrick goes in the living room and he watches like garbage on YouTube. Like this is not educational. This is not like, you know, family bonding screen time. It's just, I mean... I think last time I was on the podcast, I talked about the Hobby Kids, which was like candy to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, it's gotten even worse. Like he's watching this family's YouTube channel now that is terrible. It's scripted. It's terribly scripted. It's the most wooden acting you've ever heard. <laughs> I can't even be in the room when he's watching it because it bothers me so bad. So I'm like, either cooking dinner or doing a puzzle or reading my book or something. So it's not a good situation. And and I'll, oftentimes I'll have a difficulty getting them to the table for dinner. Um, and Patrick's usually starving by the time he gets home. So he eats from the time he walks in the door to the time he goes to bed. Um, Arlo, is, he just wants to watch Garfield. So um, yesterday I decided that we were all going to sit at the table together. We were all going to eat dinner together. And um, so I cajoled. Patrick into coming to the table. And then I went and I said to to Arlo, you know, we're going to stop now. We're going to go eat, eat dinner. And he pitches a giant fit, throws mm. himself on the floor, like wailing. And, you know, I'm so tired from I'm a single mom. And so I'm so tired that oftentimes, you know, I just feel like saying, well, fine, you don't want to eat the lovingly heated up bird's eye dinner that I made for you, um, (laughs) then fine. Like, just go watch Garfield. But I, this is a lesson that I keep learning and forgetting is that the best thing to do with a tantrum is to ride it out. Just, Mm. I just was like, you know, I, I know you're upset because you want to be watching Garfield. And periodically I would say, your dinner's on the table whenever you want to eat it. And sure enough, like eight minutes in, he like stands up, wipes his nose on his shirt and comes to the table and like eats dinner with us. And I was like, right. Why do I keep forgetting this? Just like, it's okay if they have a tantrum. You can even set up a tantrum, you know, like, you know, it's coming. You can set it up and then you just wait and they'll come out of it when they come out of it. As long as you don't freak out. So that was my triumph. That is huge. That's very good. I mean, I think you're going to forget every time because it's very triggering and there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with acknowledging in the moment that my kid is being annoying and I'm triggered by that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is true. Sometimes you just have to write it out. It's a very good way of putting it. I'm very impressed. Good job, Mom. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) I have a fail. Um, It just has to do with the fact that like... I've completely forgot about what my kid's personality is and communicated something in a really uh, bad and callous way that I did not mean to communicate. Uh, so one of our dogs, we have two dogs, and one of them cannot catch a break. She's just been going through like a couple of years of just like weird illnesses. And she's only like 10, but she appears like a 20-year-old dog. She's just Aww. like very hobbly and sad looking. And uh, we found out this week, we got some not so great news that this like persistent leg issue she has is probably a bone tumor, which is just all bad news, like in every Aww. possible way. And I you know, told uh, my older son, who was away at college, I, you know, sent him a text and I was like, just FYI, Bridie's not doing great. She might have a bone tumor, but she's not due to have another x-ray for a few weeks. And I know you're coming home then. So like, you know, I will let you know if anything else happens before then, but I'm pretty sure she's still going to be around by by the time you get here. And he was like, okay, great. Thanks for letting me know. So he's that kid, right? Pragmatic, Mm -hmm. get the information. Thank you for telling me, keep me in the loop, yada, yada. And so Right after I finished texting him, my younger son walked in the door from work, and I just repeated what I said to his brother, forgetting that he is, in fact, a different person and is super attached and sentimental around the animals. And he just, like, burst into tears and was like... That's terrible news. And why would you just say it like that? I was like, oh, shit. Because in my mind, like I was I was thinking like I was just like, okay, I'm going to be efficient and not have to because I'm upset, you know, not have to like. Yeah, I totally blew it. And then I had to like say, okay, can we pause and rewind and go back and I'll give you the context and we can talk about like what some of the potentials are. But he's so like big. I mean, he looks like a giant man. You know, he has a job now. He's working like 30 hours a week in addition to going to school. He's driving. 
And I succumbed to the illusion that I could, in fact, be cavalier uh, about the terminal health issue that our dog seems to have. And that was a huge fail that I had to walk back like the White House trying to walk back that memo it just sent to uh, Nancy Pelosi when it was meant for Republicans. (laughs) But anyway, it was not good. It was really not good. I'm sorry, Mom. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, Brady was our first. uh, I mean, she's been around for a while, but... She's definitely, she, poor dog can't catch a break. It's one of those dogs where you're like, uh, I actually, the other morning I woke up and I thought she had died because she was just sleeping so soundly. And my first oh. thought was literally like, um, well, that's a good way to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be unexpected. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a, our relationship with her mortality is a little bit more casual than with our other dog. All right, let's do some business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, ask a teacher, and much more. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. By the way, one other tip I can give you is check out this week's edition of How To, the podcast from Slate. It features Dan Coyce and his family talking about their worldwide family adventures. So check that out. The podcast is called How To. And as always, if you have a question you want us to answer on the podcast, leave us a voice message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at slate.com and your question might get read by the amazing Shasha Leonard. Also, check out our Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a super fun community, and we moderate it so it doesn't get out of control. In Slate Plus today, we're taking advantage of the fact that we've got a teacher here, a real-life teacher. Uh, We're going to be talking about this particularly tricky time in our kids' academic years when test scores start to roll in, etc., and what to do about it when those red flags get raised. Here's a clip. So I am morally, spiritually, emotionally, uh, intellectually opposed to homework To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for our membership program. It's called Slate Plus, and it's a great way to support us. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows and a ton of other benefits. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus to join Slate Plus today. Okay, let's go back to the show. All right, it's time for our first listener question. This question was sent in by email to momanddad at slate.com and is being read for us by Shasha Leonar. Hi, mom and dad. Last year, my family and I moved to a small suburban town. The community is upper middle class and nearly all white. One of the most popular community activities for elementary school children is Indian guides and Indian princesses. I was a bit horrified at the name but I like that there is an activity designed for fathers and their children. The program has been around since the 1920s, the creation of a St. Louis YMCA director and an Ojibwe tribe member named Joe Friday. A quote attributed to Friday encapsulates the program's ties to American Indian themes. Quote, The Indian father raises his son. He teaches his son to hunt, to track, to fish, to walk softly and silently in the forest, to know the meaning and purpose of life, and all that he must know, while the white man allows the mother to raise his son. End quote. The YMCA dropped the Indian theme in 2002 and renamed the program Adventure Guides, but my town has held out for another 17 years. I tried to look past the name, but the first event of the year involves gluing feathers and glitter to ponchos and then wearing them in a parade along with the chiefs in full village people headdresses. They do a few more events over the year, including marching in a Memorial Day parade, also with the chiefs in headdresses marching alongside war vets. There is an overnight camping event as well. The children do not learn about Native American culture at all. Lots of families participate in this program, and my husband wants to meet more dads in the community. Is there a way to preserve the tradition of father-child activity, but get the community to drop the cultural appropriation? Thanks. Oh, I will go first. I think this is, I mean, the answer obviously is 
yes, you need to do something about it. I mean, this is it's kind of horrifying. And um, and I guess I live in sort of a, a progressive bubble. But whenever I hear about these things, I'm like, you guys have not gotten rid of this yet. Like, it's like when I, I don't know when people, you know, show up someplace in blackface and I'm like, how have you not gotten this memo yet? This is it's crazy that it's gone on this long. Um, it's offensive. It's stereotypical. And it's just not a healthy approach to what they're trying to do with this program. Um, in addition, the whole Indian princesses thing, I hate that because it's sexist. I mean, there's just so many problems with this. But you said last year you moved to this community. And that's, I think, the hard part is because you don't have the connections or the sway to make this kind of declaration or this kind of sweeping change. I think that you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to enroll some other people in this quest uh, people who have been there longer, like, have you talked about, have you talked to other people about this? Are other people in agreement? Have you found people who are like, yes, it is equally as horrifying to me as it is to you? Um, and you're going to have to get them to do the talking, the ones who have lived there longer and have more connections, more um, sway with the community. Um, and and that's the only way I can see it changing. Um, I don't think people will listen to you since you've been there for a year. Um, mm -hmm. But definitely, definitely do something about it because these, these things need to change and the sooner the better. This just seems so extreme to me. I mean, first of all, there's a lot wrong with it. Aside from the cultural appropriation, there's also a lot of heteronormative bullshit going on with mm -hmm. this <laughs> event. Yes. You know, I always get really kind of triggered by sort of like events designed for dads to like be given some sort of exalted role for just, I don't know, showing up and doing mm -hmm. some shit with your kids. Like it bothers me. It really does. And me also too. the... The quote attributed to Joe Friday encapsulating the program's ties to the American Indian themes sucks, as quotes go. <laughs> you know, it really does. It's not it's not a tradition I would hang my hat on or something I'd be proud to extol. Um, you know, I, I understand the pressure of not speaking up a lot. As Amy said, you're new to the community. It is amazing to me. It would be amazing to find out you are the only person who feels this way and is horrified. And one way you can couch it at this, if you get people together and who are seem willing to talk about it, is would you be comfortable if a photo of your, your family is participating in this event were the lead photo on like the NBC Nightly News mm. and there was like a bunch of talking mm. heads talking about how awful you all are? Because you are if you're doing this event. And that is exactly something that could happen. Photos getting posted to social media. Uh, I mean, this is the kind of thing that like, you know, could make news in some way were it to continue sort of along this vein and were, you know, our society to to continue to become more and more aware of how inappropriate appropriation is. This has got to stop. If your town has a Facebook discussion group or forum, that might be a good place to raise the question, uh, post something like, does anyone else have a problem with this? I would like to convene a conversation about it, get some signatures on a petition, show up. Do not let your husband and kids participate in this event. Don't do it. It's, a, it's millions of other ways he can meet other dads and other people in the community. It does not have to be this. Don't participate. Absolutely speak up. There's everything about this is wrong. That's my opinion. <laughs> what about you, Jamila? <laughs> you know, I, I agree with you both, and I don't have too, too much to add, but I will say I, 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 where I disagree is I don't think this is a matter of people not knowing better at this point, you know, because we hear that so often. We say, how, how could you still not know this mm -hmm. in, in 2019? We, we typically hear that when somebody's been caught, and the excuse yep. is I didn't know better. I honestly believe that mm. the vast majority of adults that participate in any sort of blackface, you know, putting on quote unquote Indian clothes, wearing tribal makeup, you know, anything of the sort, they know that what they're doing mm. offends and harms mm. people of color 
people that actually uh, belong to those cultures and they don't care. What they have decided is that it's not either it's a I simply don't care or it's not that big a deal, you guys. In their heart, you're wrong they may, to be offended. You're right. wrong to be offended. So it's not that I, I may not have any malicious intent. In intent, I don't hate you. I don't. I don't think less of you in my mind. But I think this is a really silly thing to be offended about. And it's rare that we're in a position to tell someone else what they can and can't be offended by. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it, it just simply it, being offended is a personal experience. And this, um, when it comes to cultural appropriation which is a very nice way of describing what they're doing um, because it's kind of, you're, you're running a victory lap around the people who you destroyed in order to have this parade land. Of racism. Right. This parade of racism, this uh, bazaar uh, of genocide. I, I, you know, I, I think that a lot of people considering how long this program has been along, have been around, I'm sorry, have decided for themselves that it's not a big deal. And because there isn't a, a local indigenous popula- population, oh, I'm just so tongue tied today. There isn't a large local indigenous population putting pressure on them to change this. And so this change is going to have to come from within. And I think that what um, this mother and, and this family are experiencing is an experience that white people across the country have had historically and will have to have by the droves if we're going to truly see um, changes when it when it comes to racism and bigotry. You know, that you'll have to stand up when there are no people of color, you know, looking at you and making you feel uncomfortable and feeling like you have to act, right? Or, or right. that are, aren't there to fight the fight you know, with you or, or you know, for themselves, that you have to stand up in our absence on, on our behalf, you know. And with that, I think that I love the suggestions about putting the question to people, like, how would you feel if this were the lead photo on the NBC Nightly News? How would you feel if one of your children were to be running for office someday or were in office? You know, think of Justin Trudeau, who we thought was one of the good guys. And it's like, oh, I actually, it's not just that I did blackface. I did it so many times that I can't tell you how many times I did it. Right. Like, I didn't know it was that popular. It just seems like a lot of work. There's so many other racisms that just seem a little bit sexier. You know, I didn't think that that was the thing that so many young white folks were doing. But apparently, you know, it, it's it is right. But that, you you know, this could have tremendous ramifications for your family and for your kids. And it's flat out wrong. And, and if you would like to learn about the history of the people that you, you know, claim to be paying homage to uh, and saying that they were better at raising sons than the white man, then then share some stories with them. Tell the true story of the woman who came to be known as Pocahontas. Talk about those, quote unquote, Indian princesses being raped, right, by white men and, and killed and, and forced into a lot of things that you would not want for your children that you want to call Indian boys and Indian princesses in this moment. Um, you know, you need a propaganda campaign. I, I think you need to present some information that would make people uncomfortable. And, you know, if, if folks aren't willing to find other ways to to play their heteronormative, you know, mommy and daughter this and daddy son that or whatever, um, you know, then you may have to find other people in the community with whom to share space. Maybe you can create an alternate program. You know, like as Rebecca said, there's certainly somebody else who's offended by this. Maybe it starts with three families and it expands to eight. You know, and over time, you've got a competing set of activities for families to participate in. And this thing, you know, goes the way of the dinosaur. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I was thinking about what I just said about the imagine it shows up on the nightly news or whatever. Like, to me, that it's like I realize that could come across as me saying, like, imagine you got caught. Right. And that's not what I meant so much as, and, and you're right, that it's like there, there is this tendency, and I live in a mostly white community, and my son actually wrote about this in one of his college essays of like white people think it's like if there's nobody of color around, you can't be racist, which is like so the problem. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like a huge yeah. part of the problem. And that's what – it's absolutely what this is. And just because there's no one around to speak up for it does not mean it's right. It's, in fact, wrong. And when I think I, – I, when I say something like imagine it being on the nightly news, like that is what could happen because it is, in fact, wrong. Like it's not about you trying to hide your racism. It's about the fact that you're doing something wrong and other people – could easily see you doing this wrong thing. And if that's what it takes to get you to see it through a different lens other than your own stupid, myopic, racist, heteronormative, quote unquote, traditions, 
I don't know. I it's this kind of stuff really gets gets to me. I mean, I, I think I talked in the podcast about like speaking up about all the Native American bullshit at the summer camp my son attended. Like nobody, nobody else was saying anything, which is is it doesn't mean that you shouldn't. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Someone has to be the one, you know, because there's certainly there there may be other people that are feeling that way that didn't have the courage. You you started the conversation by sending this letter. There may be other families that listen to this podcast in your town, hopefully. So, you know, keep that momentum going. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Well, our second question this week also came in by email, and it's also being read by the luminous Shasha Leonar. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My eight-year-old daughter is, by all of her teacher's accounts, a talented ballet and jazz dancer, and she is very serious about it. I didn't know an eight-year-old could be so serious. We live in rural France, and we do what we can to keep her away from the American crazed body-conscious beauty standards. She's a heavy child. And by heavy, I mean she's at the top of her age's average height and weight category, and stacked with muscle that she uses daily in her dance practice. I'm very conscious of reinforcing to my daughter in a both offhand and direct way that she's amazing, and her body is a gift, and it is hers, and no one has any business commenting on it, including her family. I also talk positively about my body and its abilities frequently, avoiding any I-feel-so-fat comments and the like. She thinks it's funny that she's heavy and that we struggle to pick her up when we want to. My instinct is that she's proud of her body, a feeling that is no doubt reinforced by her great success as a dancer. <sighs> Enter my French husband. He was very overweight when he was a child, and now he is athletic and muscular. He is not so secretly panicked that she is going to be overweight and suffer the bullying he did when he was young. He is kind, but he does tell her things, like she has a belly. I don't know what's going to happen with her body type, but I suspect she is going to lean out as she dances and grows. And if she doesn't, I hope she feels comfortable with who she is. And if she doesn't, she can decide if she wants to do something about it, or she can learn to be comfortable with it. There is no right body type. All bodies are beautiful. This is the message I try to reinforce. Of course, I am concerned that his influence is going to make her have eating issues. I address this with him when it comes up, and he too knows that he just needs to shut his mouth. <laughs> but even with sealed lips, kids feel shit, and that shit has repercussions. Since I can't control anyone's behavior but my own, her father's, her classmates, if that comes up, what can I do to arm her with the tools that she'll need to combat body commentary and see it for the bullshit that it is. And what am I missing in my own point of view that I could be doing better with? Thank you for your time and thoughtfulness. Oh, thank you for your time and thoughtfulness in writing Absolutely. such a layered and nuanced question. Jamila, do you want to take this one first? Sure. So as a child who struggled with weight, um, starting around maybe your daughter's age and and continued to struggle uh, tremendously through adulthood. I didn't really get control until I was maybe 25 or so. Um, I'm talking eating disorders, body dysmorphia, which has continued through, both of which continued through adulthood, but really beginning that loathing of my body and being at war with my body at, you know, eight, nine, ten. I'm so impressed by how you have approached um, the issue thus far, mom, that you are affirmative and clear and 
you know, you're you're not calling her pleasantly plump or telling her that she's got a pretty face or, you know, just telling her that she'll lean out or, or you know, doing anything that would suggest that anything is wrong with her body, nor did my mother, I'm being clear. <laughs> um, but but I don't think that she was as thoughtful or intentional and and um yeah, that is that was a very beautifully uh nuanced letter. I think that, and this is something I struggle with myself for someone who, you know, my former partner was heavier when he was younger. We both, you know, for the most part, have heavy folks on each side of our families. And my daughter, who is athletic and typically on the leaner side at this point, I anytime I see her cheeks getting chubbier again or a little belly poking out, I'm afraid. You know, I, I'm triggered. I can't help but to think back of, there wasn't as much bullying for me as there were for girls that were seriously heavier. And I will be honest in saying that I was not never as heavy as I felt, right? But that, you know, whether you're slightly heavy or you're tremendously overweight, if you feel big and you don't love the body that you're in while feeling big and the world is telling you that big is not the thing to be, that is so, can be so traumatizing and balancing my wanting uh, my child and all other children to just have healthy self-esteem and to know that everybody is beautiful and not to engage in fat shaming or anything like it, while also wanting to protect her and, and your child and everyone else's kid from the bullying, from feeling uncomfortable, um, you know, with who they are. I wish that parents of skinny kids, you know, which is something I've done thus far, were talking to their children about fat phobia, right? And talking to them about the bullying and the, you know, very easy to make, you know, almost innocent comments about other people's bodies. Or maybe you're not calling your chubby friend fat, but you're calling, you know, somebody that you don't like fat in their presence, right? And and you see her face get sad and you say, oh, no, not you. You're beautiful, you know, or we're not talking about you. We're talking about them. Um, you know, I, I think you're doing great so far. You know, I, I think that you are conscientious enough of um, where your husband is struggling and maybe in some of the ways that I have um, and, and not keeping uh, a guard over his mouth, perhaps in the way that he should and, and what she may face with other children. And you've got her active in dance, right? Which means that her body is already a, a source of pride and accomplishment for her, you know, which, which is important as long as she loves dancing. So I'd say keep doing what you're doing. I would lean in harder on uh, the husband and say, you know, yes. there's nothing that you can say negative about being fat that's going to make her have a healthy relationship to her body. And if what you want for her most is to have a healthy relationship with her body and to remain in, you know, good shape and to take good care of herself, the things that you have been saying, that you may be on the verge of saying, could be ultimately quite damaging to that. So let's affirm her. Let's keep her active. We'll teach her healthy eating habits. And we will accept and love this child, whether she grows to be a size 2, a size 12, or a size 22. But anything in the realm of fat shaming is... is you're not going to get the result that you want for your child, um, whether she ends up being quite slim but has a lifelong anxiety and, and you know, perhaps eating disorder related to it, or if she does not uh, meet the standards uh, which he finds to be appropriate and always feels that she somehow failed her father. So I, I think you're approaching it the right way. Just try to get him on board with your approach. Hmm. What do you think, Amy? I'm... Yeah, I know the question was about like, what can you do? But I want to second Jamila's motion of like, continue to tell the dad to shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I mean, this is, it is, my family, never any messages about body and food. And I developed a full-fledged eating disorder and, you know, body bad body thoughts, all the, all the, the whole business. And that was fully from cultural, um, you know, societal messages that I got. Um, but it got way worse when I went to Italy for a year between high school and college and people, people that I did not know, like my teachers, the first month of school or, uh, you know, just random adults would tell me that I was fat and I needed to lose weight. And um, 
and I was not, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to qualify it, but like I wasn't that heavy. Um, but I gained 25 pounds in a year because specifically because they were telling me to, to lose weight and whatever goes on in a teenager's mind that like says, fuck you, you can't do it. I'm not going to do what you tell me. You know, I, you know, went the, the other way. Um, but to be getting that from your own family has to be compounding the issue, even if she doesn't seem to react to it right now. And she, you say she thinks it's funny. Um, I, it's, it's getting in there. Um, so please continue to tell your husband to s- shut it. Um, and, and I want to second Jamila's, I think you mentioned this about how the fat shaming just absolutely makes things worse. You might have seen Bill Maher's bullshit about let's bring fat shaming back recently mm-hmm. and James Corden's wonderful response. I highly recommend you look it up on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Um, and he says, you know, we shame ourselves all the time. We don't need it from you. It's not going to work. It's not going to do what you think it's going to do. Stop. Um, so. What can you do, I would say, to cultivate a um, some social media feeds for her, some entertainment feeds for her that include body diversity and fat positivity, body positivity? Um, there are a lot of people on Instagram that you can follow. Um, there are amazing fat dancers um, that you can find videos of. Show her those. Show her how amazing these people are. Um, just keep that in front of her, like all the different bodies that can dance. Um, because I, too, am someone who danced until I was about 16 or 17. And I think the only reason I stopped was because I was concerned about that I didn't have a dancer's body. Mm. So, um I and to this day, like dancing brings me great joy and I rarely do it. And I'm so sad about that. Um, So please continue to have her pursue dance and show her that anybody can dance and that if it's something that makes her happy, that she should do it no matter what. So that's all good. I want to add a layer to this because I'm a person who has been fat and thin. And right now I'm kind of like I definitely put myself squarely in the fat camp right now. And I have kids who have been thin, fat, thin, fat, thin, fat as kids get when they grow. Uh, Henry went through the phase that uh, we call or we sort of called later. I mean, it sent a sound contextually terrible considering what I'm about to say. But it was sort of our family nickname was he coined it was the meatball phase because he was basically looked like a meatball. It was adorable. Teddy has gone through the, the the growing out and up, out and up, out and up thing. It's just a thing that kids do. Um, and I have seen friends of mine who are fit and healthy, you know, talk about trying to avoid their kids getting fat. And the question that I always want to ask is like, so what? Like, so what if they do? It's always couched as a health and eating issue or a health issue. And a lot of research shows that a lot of that stuff also is not true, that, you know, for people with certain body types, being really thin is actually not healthier or better. Um you know, I, I I think that we as parents tend to unfortunately perpetrate this idea of like who a person is is directly tied to what their body looks like. And as somebody who has been both thin and fit and fat, I can tell you I am qualitatively exactly the same person that I was when I was super thin. And if I'm ever thin again, I will be qualitatively the exact same person I am now that I'm heavier than I want to be. A lot of something that I, I see like a lot with these conversations and, you know, it might be happening with this dad, who knows, is that it's not overtly concern for their kids' health or well-being or fear of being bullied. There is some sort of shame or embarrassment to like having a fat kid that it reflects on you somehow, that it makes you look like you're not doing your job, keeping your kid to like the norms of society. That is what is at the root of a lot of this stuff. Uh, because you don't know that your kid is going to get bullied until your kid is out in the world and gets bullied. You don't actually know that's going to happen. You'd be amazed at the, uh, you know, 
potentially what would have been the likely targets of bullying in your own grade school and junior high and high school experience. It's a completely different game now. Like kids now tend to be like way more accepting, way more open, way just more open to conversations about difference. They've experienced a completely different kind of curriculum than we have around that stuff. They might not be, but they might be. And I almost think that like training your kid to prevent bullying is also not a great approach. Like, your daughter sounds wonderful. She sounds happy. She sounds confident. Put a period on it. End it there. What she looks like does not reflect on you. It does not reflect on your French husband. Definitely tell him to shut the fuck up about this whole belly thing. It's not helping anyone. (laughs) And it's not helping the relationship between the two of you because instead of just telling him, hey, you need to knock it the fuck off, you felt like you had to write to us to ask this very wonderfully phrased and nuanced question. But he's causing harm. He's actually causing harm and he needs to stop it. And we all need to stop judging other parents based on whether or not their kids are fat and judging ourselves based on whether or not our kids are fat. Some kids are fat, then they get thin again, and then they get fat again. It does not change who they are. It does not necessarily make them less healthy or less good people. And we're not going to change anything in this conversation until we get ourselves there. So I think that's where we have to put the most work when it comes to this stuff. Yes. And can I add a PS? Introduce her to Lizzo. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) <laughs> she's the best Lizzo is great best, so. and, I, and it's funny because Lizzo is one of the people who came to mind I thought of you know hanging up pictures in her room of women of diverse yes. body types so not just bigger women you know put some thinner women up there too some shorter women because you don't know how tall she's going to be yes. some you know um, and women who, who look similar in body type to her now right so I get the impression you're right. not describing somebody who looks that she you know I don't see her as being the 8 year old parallel to a Lizzo but maybe say um, oh, I don't know. I'm trying not to say Ashley Graham, but maybe let's say Ashley Graham, right? Where it's like, you know, the sort of bigness that will certainly be praised in a lot of circles because she's got an hourglass figure and she's drop dead gorgeous. But, you know, and, and others would be considered the fat girl. Right. But, um, right. you know, I, I think it's important that she sees these things visually on a regular basis. And so if she doesn't take an interest in social media or if you prefer not to have her on Instagram following those accounts, Gabby Fresh is another one. Um, she's a plus size fashion blogger and designer who's done all these great brand collaborations. And she's just amazing. She has just the best attitude about body and beauty. Um, but but if you put those things up in her wall, she sees them every day. She sees them when she comes home feeling a little weird about something she heard at school about how people are supposed to look. She sees them when she hears a fat joke on a television show. It, it, it's constantly there. Yeah. Did you guys see the movie Booksmart? I didn't. It's like, Loved it's it. so wonderful. Oh, my God. It's so wonderful on so many levels. But one of the things about it that's so wonderful is that uh, one of the stars of the movie, Beanie Feldstein, is probably an actress that, you know, in any other movie that was not as smart and not as cool would be cast as, like, quote, the overweight kid, right? Mm-hmm. And there's literally the friend no mention. Or the sister. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's no mention of her size, or her body type. There's no mention of it in the movie. She's a great actress. She plays her part. It's like not acknowledged in any way. It is sort of the paragon of how we should be, like the way that this is portrayed in this movie. And I really recommend that anybody who hasn't seen it checks it out because it's like exactly what I kind of wish, the, the kind of lens that more of us would have. on Those of us who absolutely should fucking know better, who've been through it ourselves, like... If we start having the lens that, like, everybody has the same worth, uh, you know, no matter what size pants they wear or whatever, like, it would awfully, it it can just go an awfully long way. I really, I really think so. And uh, I think that what you said, Jamila, too, about, like, you know, teach your thin kids to, like, (laughs) to step up and realize that body shaming isn't okay. That's really important, too. It really is. All right. Well, now is the time in the show where we make a recommendation of any kind. And that segment is called Recommendations. It's very literal. I'm wondering, Jamila Lemieux, do you have a recommendation for us this week? I do. Um, And I just asked that if our children go to school together um, in California near um, 
I don't want to say anything <laughs> that might identify the school, but, you know, there's a little one who looks just like me. And if they go to school together, this advice is not for you. It's for everyone else. So um, <laughs> I don't know if, if you all are Target stands like I am, but I have always deeply loved Target. Part of it is because when I was a kid, it was like a kind of a big deal to get to go to Target because they didn't have mm. them in major cities, you know, at, at that point. They were out in the suburbs and my mom wasn't a driver. So, like, we'd go, you know, on occasion, Our my dad or like, a, you know, a family friend we do like a mall day or something but for the most part target was a treat and then there was like the seven weeks that i or eight weeks that i worked there right after i graduated college i went through their entire management training program because i needed a summer job and then i like quit and moved to new york so i apologize to target this is me trying to um <laughs> it paid very well <laughs> and i needed a job and i was going to be on my butt homeless so um here's my reparations for you target i'm going to advertise something um that you all are doing right now that i really love and they're celebrating 20 years of of their um, collaborations with uh, high-end designers. And they've got so many, like from Isaac Mizrahi and Jason Wu and um, Lily Pulitzer. And so they've got like a special capsule collection going on right now where you can go and get some of those pieces that um, you bought perhaps over the past 20 years. Uh, 20 years of design for all is what they're calling it. They've got Hunter stuff. They've got so much really, really cute stuff. And if you, like me, are are corny enough to like wearing matching or coordinating clothes with your children, uh-huh. I, <laughs> I'm so glad I found some Target gift cards while I was packing up the apartment because my daughter and I now have matching Lily Pulitzer jumpsuits and pink and green dresses, which are my sorority colors. So we're super cheesy in that way. And I got her a really, really, really adorable um, dress for picture day, which is why I don't want any of her classmates' parents to go take advantage of this stuff. Just wait until after the second, and then you can go buy a dress. <laughs> but it's very cute. <laughs> I don't want there to be any twinsies there, but they've got Missoni, and it, it's just they've got lots of fun stuff, and it's very affordable, of course. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. Good recommendation. Amy Scott, what have you got? Um, so I'm going to recommend a book or audiobook. Um, called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. It has like a subtitle, like unlocking the power of sleep and dreams or something. It's kind of cheesy. But um, it is a very scientific, very um, readable or listenable book. Um, Fascinating. I mean, it's just all about what sleep does for us. Uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, academically, spiritually, and what lack of sleep does for us in those same realms. And it is just so, it's just so interesting and so powerful. And I want to recommend it to parents, especially those like me who have been sleep deprived for like five years. Um, my kids just sort of started sleeping in April of this year. And like I said, they just turned five. And still, most nights, Arlo will visit me at 3, 3.30 in the morning. And oftentimes, I don't go back to sleep. So um, it it gave me such compassion for myself and my struggles. Like, if you're struggling physically, emotionally, mentally, any in any way in terms of motivation or anything like that, if you have been sleep deprived because of your children or because of your anxious mind, like that's part of mine too, too. But um, for any reason, if you have not been sleeping, this will make you feel like it's not my fault. It is sleep is like magic. It's like food. You need it probably more than anything else. And um, you should give yourself a break because you haven't had it. And um, it's just made your life really, really hard. And the second part to my recommendation is that um, if you download audiobooks, either I get mine from the library usually. Um, I usually have one audiobook on my phone for um, the kids. Patrick is into it now. We listen to like James and the Giant Peach and Homer Price and things like that. But it means that I can't listen to my audiobooks as much as I want to because we're usually listening to his. So in the time after I drop them at school and go to work or from work to picking them up, I listen to my own. But I was like, I was listening to um, what's the Big Little Lies 
Um, and it's like a really, really long book. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to get through this until, you know, but by the time it's due at the library and it like disappears into the ether off my phone. Um, and so and I just I realized and I had known this before, but you can listen at 1.5, 1.25 or 1.5 speed if you want to. And most books, you it, you still get all of it. Like you can still understand <laughs> all of it at 1.5 speed. I mean, it is a little bit, you know, rapid, but it's it it'll get you through the book a lot faster, um, especially when your time alone is limited. So, again, it's called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And if you get the audiobook, listen to it at 1.5, you'll still be fine. <laughs> My husband listens to all of his audiobooks at like 1.5 speed. And he um, he's often listening to like, you know, nonfiction. He actually downloaded the, the Mueller report and he was listening to it at 1.5 speed. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, what are you listening to in the shower? It's like, kind of weird. Anyway, but I, it is a trick that a lot of people use. It's a good trick. Uh, my recommendation uh, goes back to my fail this week. I, if, if it's possible and if you love animals like I do and if you have kids who are devastated by the loss of pets like I do, I would like to recommend always having two dogs instead of one dog in your home <laughs> because kind of going along the lines of like the air and the spare, uh, it is nice to not imagine at a time when you're uh, facing the imminent perhaps demise of one of your animals that you will not have a giant animal-shaped hole in your household. Because if you are an animal lover and a dog lover, and if your kids are really attached to your pets, uh, that complete absence of animal can be really, really tough. And um, I've experienced it both ways in my parenting. I've had both, you know, more than one pet and just one. And when you have just one and it dies, I think it's like 10 times worse. So if you can swing it and you're a dog person and you have a dog, consider <laughs> perhaps picking up a spare. <laughs> it might just make things a little easier. I'm not saying it's for everyone, but it's worked so far for my family. Is that crazy? Am I being like not suggesting that? No, not at all. I think that's totally reasonable. <laughs> I'm thinking about having a spare kid, honestly. Like, <laughs> what if she doesn't like me that much when she's an adult? Then what am I going to do on Mother's Day? <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> All right, that's our show. If you have a question you want to ask us on the podcast, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at slate.com And join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. I'm Rebecca Lavoie for Jamila Lemieux and Amy Scott. We'll talk to you next week. Hello, Slate Plus listeners. It's the end of September, and that means many of our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.